You've tuned in to the Message to Kings podcast, where we tell the complete history. Welcome to the Message to Kings podcast, episode 29. My name is Janelle Heaston, and for those of you who didn't tune in to episode 22 and 23, I am Brett's wife who shared on Korah's rebellion and the sons of Korah. In Brett's last episode, he discussed the death of Moses. Today, I'm going to back up and cover one of Moses' last accounts before he died. This is a story of five daughters of Zalapahad approaching Moses for a concern they had regarding their inheritance. This account is found in Numbers 27. At this point, a new census has been requested for a new generation. There is significant purpose in the senses that are recorded in both the Old and New Testament. There are five main ones in the Old Testament and two mentioned in the New Testament. The first census ever recorded was in Numbers 1, which was taken after the crossing through the Red Sea. This census represented deliverance from slavery for the Israelites. Second census is noted in Numbers 26, and this includes the Israelites being allowed to enter into the Promised Land including Joshua and Caleb, who are the only two over 58 years old of age, Eliezer, the high priest, and the rest of the younger generation, including the daughters of Zalapahad, which we are going to talk about today. There is great significance to this census. This represents a new generation entering into the land God promised them to enter. The third census that's mentioned in the Old Testament is a census that David requested in 2 Samuel 24 at the end of his reign, However, though it isn't clear exactly, it appears as David's motivation for the census was rooted in pride and self-reliance. Even though David repented, there was still a negative consequence and it ended in a plague killing 70,000 men. This census represented disobedience. The fourth census mentioned in the Old Testament is in 2 Chronicles 2. Solomon took a census of the foreigners in the land for the purpose of distributing laborers. This represented a census more of the foreigners and not the Israelites. The fifth census mentioned is finally in the time of Nehemiah and Ezra 2, after the return of the exiles from Babylon to Jerusalem, a complete census of the people were recorded. The primary purpose of this census was to determine the practical needs for temple service. So this census represented restoration of the Israelites back to Jerusalem. There are two more censuses discussed in the New Testament, which we will cover later on. As you can see, there was great significance around the purpose of a calling of a census to be completed. So picture this, on the plains of Moab, on the east side of the River Jordan, opposite Jericho, the children of God are ready to enter the promised land. One could assume at this point, they are waiting in expectation to finally enter the promised land, which has been destination point for 40 years. Can you imagine growing up watching your parents and older relatives continue to make the same mistakes over and over again, being told about this great land God has promised to them, however, not knowing when the day would finally come when they would be able to cross over into the promise. So you can sense the mixed emotions, expectation, anxiety, potential fear, excitement, all of the unknown of entering into this promised land. In Numbers 27, there is an account of five daughters of Zalapahad, born of the tribe of Manasseh. And here in the text, it states all five daughters, Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Tirzah. 
stood before Moses. Stood in Hebrew means amad, meaning to take one stand, to arise, to stand upright before Eliezer the priest and before the leaders and all the congregation by the doorway of the tabernacle a meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, but he was not in the company of those who gathered together against the Lord in company with Korah. But he died in his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be removed from among his family, because he had no son? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. Just imagine what this looks like. All these men, Moses, Eliezer the priest, the leaders and congregation, surround these five girls, probably pretty shocked to hear they have stepped up and voiced their request so boldly. It would have been quite a sight. They needed real courage and faith in God to make this type of request. So we can clearly see the problem the daughters of Zalafahad are aware of. Their father is dead, and they knew that according to God's promise, he was entitled to an inheritance once the children of God entered into the promised land. Now that their father is not alive, according to the law of Moses, inheritance was only given to sons, as stated in Deuteronomy 21, 15-17. This law didn't include them at all, since they had no brothers. No family inheritance was given because when they marry, their name would change and their new name would belong to their husband's family and tribe. The five daughters knew they had no guarantee of security and provision when they entered into the promised land. To go and request the law to be changed presented many challenges for these five girls. Let's take a closer look at these challenges. The first obvious challenge is they were girls, and the tent of meeting was where only men would gather to worship and pray. To approach this area where it was considered off-limits with their request took a lot of boldness. The second is history showed no positive outcome for others who had made a similar request. There are two accounts mentioned earlier in scripture I would like to mention where a person approaches the tent of meetings. However, you will see the outcome is very different than that of the daughters of Zalapahad. Let's take a look. First account is in Numbers 12 where Miriam and Aaron began talking against Moses because of his Cushite wife. Has the Lord spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became white as snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had defiling skin disease. We see here that Miriam spoke against Moses. Again in Numbers 16, we see Korah and his followers speaking against Moses and Aaron at the tent of meetings and questioning their God-given roles. And once again, we see God's judgment on their rebellion, which ends in a tragic death for many. In both of these instances, Miriam, Korah, and his followers all had rebellion in their hearts and spoke against the leaders of the camp and God himself. The difference between these instances and the daughters of Zephalahad is that the daughters of Zephalahad approached Moses at the Ten of Meetings and spoke directly to Moses, not behind his back or out of rebellion, but out of true humility. Keeping this in mind, we have a glimpse into the character of these five daughters. These girls knew they had to approach Moses with the right attitude and not rebellion. They saw an injustice and presented their case. There are some clues in the text that provide us insight on these five girls and who they were. The five daughters of Zephalahad showed up not once, but three times in Numbers, in chapter 27 and 36. 
There must be something pretty significant about these girls and their names to be listed not just as Zephalahad's daughters, but by their individual names. Let's examine the meaning of their names, since according to Hebrew tradition, names were very significant. For each daughter to be mentioned, I feel there is a reason why they were placed in the text so that we might see the special purpose that each daughter contributed in their role in changing history. According to Jewish tradition, the daughters of Zelophehad were learned women. They presented their petition in a logical and sophisticated manner. Although reluctant to appear in public, Zelophehad's daughters overcame their natural modesty because their question was fundamental. In addition, in Jewish tradition, they trusted in the merciful one and came before Moses and the entire congregation at the entrance to the sanctuary. In other words, they surrendered all control, entrusting the entire matter to the merciful one. They gave their request up to God and cleansed themselves of any emotional attachment. They wanted a favorable outcome. However, they did not want to go against God's will. They needed real courage and faith in God. These are the five names of his daughters and their meaning in Hebrew language. Mala, which means disease, prayer given to God. She may have been given this name because she may have been born with a condition that caused her to not have full health or strength. This possibly was one of the reasons the sisters felt the sting of having no inheritance even greater, knowing that for their sister, she may not have the guarantee of getting married. Noah, motion or movement, quaking. Noah's name implies that she had a gift in movement, that she could inspire others to move despite challenges or obstacles. She might have played a huge role in encouraging her sisters. They had to physically present their request before Moses, despite how challenging this request would be. Hagla means partridge, fighter of God. When there is a need for change, Hagla would be the one who would be the one who wouldn't shy away from the challenge, but would approach it with wisdom and leadership. Milka means queen, royalty of God. She was created to appear before people of high position, carrying herself with grace and poise. And Tirza, favorable delight and pleasure of God. Tirza was the one whose name meant favored. All five daughters of Zephalahad were born with a purpose and destiny, and the name they were each given provides insight into how they all played a role in approaching Moses and Eliezer the priest. Okay, so at this point, you can just picture in your mind how this looks. All these men, Moses, Eliezer the priest, the leaders and congregation surround these five daughters, probably pretty shocked to hear they have stepped up and voiced their request so boldly and in unity. It would have been quite a sight. Here they see these girls, all with unique strengths when bringing their requests before the leaders and congregation. There are a couple ways Moses could have replied. First of all, he could have silenced them and told them they were completely out of line to even consider requesting the law to be changed just for them, especially since they were women and held no legal rights to inheritance. He could have said, sorry, the law is the law. Tough luck. Moses could have gotten very angry because they broke protocol. And lastly, he could have taken the request to God, which historically was more in line with how Moses has handled issues in previous situations. So, the story continues in number 27, verse 5. So Moses brought their case before the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The daughters of Zophalahad speak what is right. You shall surely give them a possession of inheritance among their father's brothers. 
and cause the inheritance of their father to pass to them. And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughter. If he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. And if he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the relative closest to him in his family, and he shall possess it. And it shall be to the children of Israel a statute of judgment, just as the Lord commanded Moses. Wow, what we see here is history being changed. God, the all-knowing, powerful God of the universe, has listened to the request of five girls and basically said, You are completely correct with your request. I grant you inheritance, security, land, acknowledgement for not just you five, but all women in the same type of situation. This is huge. Not just their family was affected, but all families in the same situation and for future generations was changed forever. Though the text doesn't state the response of the five daughters, one can assume quite easily they rejoiced in God's response. From what we know about these five daughters, they gave glory to God for their boldness and faithfulness in bringing their request to change history forever. If we fast forward to Proverbs 31, it is often titled, The Wife of Noble Character. However, there are many verses within this chapter that reflect who the daughters of Zephalahad were and how they made a way for this infamous woman described in Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 states, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. The daughters of Zephalahad did exactly this for their generation and generations after this. Proverbs 31:16. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. This wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for the daughters of Zephalahad making the way for women to own land. Verse 26, she speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. But the key verse here, which describes the daughters of Zephalahad perfectly, is verse 30. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Okay, so you men, this Proverbs also state that she brings her husband good and not harm all the days of his life. The daughters of Zephalahad were responsible for seeing an injustice in the current law and having faith in God that he would take care of them and hear their petition. History was changed, and from that point on, daughters could inherit land. Just imagine when they crossed the Jordan how thankful they were to God that they now had security and provision in their inheritance of land. Earlier, I had shared with you the significance of the census mentioned in the Old Testament. However, I would like to share with you the two instances mentioned in the New Testament. The first one, which is the most significant, in Luke 2, 1-7, through 7, it states, Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. Jesus was born in Bethlehem during their travel to the city for the census, thus fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy in Micah that a ruler of Israel would come out of Bethlehem. This census represented the birth of Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah. The second census mentioned in the New Testament was Acts 5.37, which casually mentions census taking place, but no details about it. 
So to recap, the census after the exodus from Egypt represented freedom from slavery and bondage. The second census represented the new generation entering into the promised land, and this then prompted the daughters of Zephalahad to approach Moses with their request, which resulted in the daughters receiving the inheritance of land. As we fast forward to the New Testament, the census in Bethlehem coincided with Jesus' birth, and all who call upon the name of Jesus as their personal Savior are instantly welcomed into His family and inheritor of the things of His kingdom. This is inheritance that no one can take away. In Romans eight sixteen and 17, it states, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. In Ephesians 4, 15, Paul states, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. The writer of this text is saying that every person takes its name from God, and once we acknowledge God, then we may fully claim the right to be called children of God, and we take on His inheritance, purpose, and destiny of who He created us to be. You are called by name from the one who created the universe, from the one who created the first man and woman, the one who longs to be in a true relationship with you. You are loved. You are wanted. You do have purpose. You do have someone that wants the best for you, and his name is Jesus. When we believe that God cares about us, even when others say we are not worthy, then we can understand the story of the daughters of Zalaphahad. Just as the daughters of Zalaphahad had God-given purposes revealed in their names, and just as they each played a role in changing the law for future generations, so I challenge you to think about the legacy you are leaving for generations to come. Tune in next week to the Message to Kings podcast.